Welcome to Beyond the Lead, where two young thinkers discuss current events and big ideas. This podcast provides in-depth analysis, along with free-flowing discussions about politics, philosophy, foreign policy, psychology, and many other fields you need to know about. Here's your hosts, Mike and Patrick. Welcome back to Beyond the Lead. We did take a week off, but we are back to bring you some more awesome content. I am one half of the show. My name is Mike, and you can find me on Twitter at Mike Stinner. That's Mike, S-T-I-N-N-N-E-R. What's going on, Patrick? Hey, what's up, Mike? Yeah, and I am Patrick, as Michael said, and you can find me on Twitter at PatrickFO, and I have a blog, and it's at iCriticalTheory.wordpress.com. So it feels like, honestly, it's been longer than two weeks since we've talked, or or I guess right. it has been, what, two weeks in a day or something it's like that. It's been about but... two weeks. Yes, sir. And unfortunately, yeah. one of the, it seems like this is going to happen every single year, but the worst mass shooting in, in American history happened, or in a, uh, modern American history happened. And while we don't have to sit and recap this entire event, because honestly, if you don't live in a cave, you understand what had happened. But just to give a brief overview for those that don't that don't know a certain someone who honestly don't really want to say his name i read a pretty interesting piece saying how if we really stopped glorifying these guys it could do something which that's something we could probably get into but right. man decided he was going to open fire on a bunch of concert goers in vegas last monday night or i'm sorry last yes, sunday night but i found out on monday morning so right yeah and it was i guess now we know it's like uh, 58 people were killed and 489 were wounded. Um, but yeah, I'm sure we've all heard the news. We've all seen opinion pieces. We've all talked about it with our friends, our family. Um, this is probably the most politically charged or one of the most politically charged issues in our country is guns slash gun control. Yeah. And, and it's always after a mass shooting. Yeah. Which happen a lot. A they happen a lot, though. Um, well, I guess, I mean, it kind of, de- well, do you want to just start off kind of say, you know, what do we want to define as a mass shooting? Because I was reading from, it was in the Washington Post, uh, you know, a lot of people say, oh, yeah, America has 200 or 300 mass shootings last year. And this guy from the Washington yeah. Post said, actually, if you uh, just call what is four people indiscriminately, that's not domestic violence, not gang related. There was like four or five last year, not two to 300. So you I, know, feel like you, I feel like you, I feel like you said. Well, I feel like you said it. The, like I think you said it in, in reverse, right? Like if you count domestic violence that kills more than three people, then mm-hmm. they happen almost every day, mm-hmm. almost, right? But if you just count like explicitly not domestic violence when someone is indiscriminately firing into a crowd in public, it's right. less than that, right? Um, like this guy calculated. I, I wish I had the author. I could find it for. We, I know, found we uh, the notes, but. He said, you know, there's like four or five of actual mass, you know, shootings, but only the big ones. You know, then we all start talking about the gun control, it seems. But Right. I found, uh, I think it was from The Economist. They said one study counted 166 mass shootings in 14 countries in mm-hmm. the years 2000 through 2014. And 133 of those were in America. Right. Oh, um, yeah. I so, mean, it's, that's not a shock when there's 350 million guns in America right. and... There's like none in Japan and there's like, you know, hardly any in Western Europe when, when we're talking comparatively, but. Right. So I guess to just kind of, 
kind of just, you know, where do we actually go from here? Because there's so many, you know, every single time this comes out, I see the Harvard study where they say, you know, the more guns equals more crime and all this. It's like, yeah, well, that sounds great. But, you know, currently we have 350 or I forget what the exact number is. But, you know, we have hundreds yeah. of millions of guns in America right now. So I, I just kind of think, you know, we can look at it from an idealistic way of how great it would be if, you know, all the criminals would give up all their guns. And that would that would be wonderful. Something tells me that's not going to happen. But uh, or we can look at it, you know. I guess thinking more about the facts on the ground, where we are now, what can we really do moving forward, I guess is kind of where, where I'm at right now. Right. Um, well, you so you did say that, you did mention that Harvard study that does show that more guns equals more homicides, right? Yeah, every and, single time there's a mass shooting, that heart, well, that, that study but, comes out. And then there's so, like a million pieces criticizing it. And so but I'm here's, just, why, you know, here's why that is at least important is because that is a popular talking point on the right that no laws can prevent any like any killings and that's not true so right, i agree with you that that's um, not true at all like if that's not true and like uh most gun deaths occur in wyoming louisiana alabama mississippi arkansas and montana and they also have the most guns and i just think when when this is such a, a of course a, but a, what's also true is that it was something like you know more than 50% of all the murders actually happen in the big cities of Chicago, Los Angeles, and Washington, right. D.C., yeah, you're gonna, <laughs> so, which also you're have gonna the strictest find, gun laws. Yeah, you, I mean, you're going to find most most killings in big cities for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, that, but well, Just to kind of, you know, just to yeah. push back about what you said, you know, you can also look at Vermont, where something like more than half of everybody in that state owns a gun, and there's virtually no crime. So, you know, right. correlation is obviously not always causation. Right. Um no, I so I I get really distressed when when there's a when there's a mass killing. Of course I do, but I mean, right. um, I'm actually I'm actually um, interested in how we can bridge this cultural divide we have in our country, mm-hmm. and I don't think we can, and that's why I get so distressed. Like I think this issue plus abortion, like so. So gun rights for the, for the for the right and like abortion for the left is like mm-hmm. I actually think we live in different universes, but we oh, do live in the same country. So <laughs> I don't really think we can bridge this gap here without like, I don't know, I don't know, I, I don't see, I don't see it happening. I don't think really. that's true. But I don't okay. know if I necessarily agree because I think, especially when you look at uh, legal gun owners, the vast majority of them agree with all of the quote common sense things from right. what I can find is more than 50% of NRA members are okay with universal background checks and bans on all right. automatic weapons and making sure yeah. we can't have grenade launchers and all these certain things. And when you look at um, also the average gun owner, you know, they're, they're, they're not the criminals whatnot. I read this said it was like uh, gun gun owners, your legal gun owner is seven times less likely than a cop to be convicted of a felony. And we all know, cause that's another big point is that cops never get convicted of anything. So just kind of, right. you, know, you know what I mean? So I don't know. I think that actually a lot of people do agree a little bit more on like, you know, all of us agree we don't want automatic weapons. And I think I even heard a lot of people on the right saying, you know, we, we need to ban the bump stock because if that's what it does, there's certain problems I think with, with the bump stock being that all it really is is a spring and a piece of plastic. It's one of those things that anybody can manufacture if you right. are, if you have a little bit of metal work. And that's kind of a problem because, as you always see, whenever something gets banned, all of a sudden everybody wants it. And so I think doing that 
my personal opinion, I think, uh, is going to draw more attention to a bump stock, which if you use a bump stock, I've never personally used one, but I come from a family that's, you know, obviously I told you is very, very conservative. And they always tell me, you know, bump stocks make the guns, you know, incredibly inaccurate and they're not right, actually right. used for anything unless you do with this horrible person did, which is just, you know, shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah. I guess I'm just right. kind of going on and on at, the, at this point. But my main point is being, I do think that most of us actually agree on kind of the the, the basic things it's just you know when you get to the far ends you have your people on the right who are just saying you know you can't take my guns and I, i'm gonna go and buy a whole bunch which you actually brought up on twitter i thought was an interesting point when you were pushing back to me you said you know actually a lot of the guns are only owned by like three percent of the people and you know because right. I mean? a lot of people have more than one gun per person and so right. i guess i've been going on and on i i can let you go but my main thing is just i do think that uh, we agree on this a little bit more than maybe you initially thought well, I mean, that's a fair point, though, that that most Americans agree on, quote unquote, common sense, you know, um, regulations. That is true. I just feel like this issue now is a is it's seen as a cultural, a cultural divide mm-hmm. more than even just like, yeah, a little like a little uh, technocratic fix. Like I do. I do agree that we agree on things like the of uh, uh, of controlling the bump stocks. Um, yeah, maybe can't have um, reasserting weapons, can't have you know, uh, background checks. Yeah, all um, that stuff, right? I also know that people tend to think that there are more regulations than they are. Like if you tell them that some states actually don't don't require background checks still and that you can get a gun at a gun show pretty easily in various states. They actually right. seem to be – they actually do think that we have stronger gun gun laws than we, than we already have. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I know here in Washington where I live, they are – they are very strict. and But it is definitely – you can kind of vary by county. There's a lot of places in eastern Washington where they're, you know, way more conservative and, and whatnot. But I know where on the on the west side of the mountains, especially in the greater Seattle area, I mean, they're very, they're very strict. Right. You obviously have your uh, magazine restrictions in California and whatnot. But yeah, that, that's absolutely true. The problem with, uh, with background checks for me is that all the background check, my friend at work always says, he's like, all the background check means you ain't done nothing yet. And I'm like, well, that's kind right. of true. And that's that's the problem is I, I, I totally support a universal background check. I, th- I support actually a stricter background check than what we do now. I actually signed a, a thing last year. Um, where was it at? I can't remember. I think it was it's something called like the Bite of Seattle. It's just a cool uh, food festival. Right. There's a bunch of people. There was a uh, there was a petition for making sure that mentally ill people cannot have um, access to guns and certain things like that. And I was the first one to sign it. My friends like, wait, what? I'm like, hey, right. I, I do. I I actually so maybe I I'm not as much of a you know what I mean. I actually sure. See, when what was Sam Harris saying? Well, I don't I don't agree with Sam Harris when he said it should be like a pilot's license because we do have a Second Amendment. But I agree with that sentiment. I guess. So let's get into the Second Amendment for, uh, for, uh, for a minute then, since you brought it up. Um, okay. I think, so the right likes to say that they are, they are the ones who want to read the, the Constitution, you know, with originalist intent. Yeah, you do they're, hear that they're more, uh, you know, they're more uh, textualist. Well, yeah. John, Paul, John Paul Stevens, who was, he was nominated by uh, Gerald Ford, he was a judge from 1975 through 2010, mm-hmm. he says that for this is his words. I mean, it's, it's not a quote, but it's a paraphrase. He said that for 200 years, it was understood that federal judges, um, that they applied the Second Amendment only to keep it and bearing arms for military purposes. And it didn't, and they, and they, and they didn't impose any restrictions on states regulating guns. And that was, that was the, how it was 
ruled on for 200 years. So that to me would be the originalist uh, intent. Now, in recent years... See, I don't it, know if I necessarily... because, But when you look at when the I, Second I, Amendment I, was actually out, literally everybody had a musket. The, gover- the, the most advanced military weapons were what civilians had as well. And that is yeah, not but, what we have today. But they were... They states were genuinely concerned of, of the tyranny of the federal government exactly, on them, right. and they they did mean militia, like they they did mean militia literally. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not actually someone who reads which the text actually literally. says it does say in a well regulated militia. I agree. Right, I, I'm not someone who thinks that that we should read the the Constitution as the founding fathers. Um, Wrote it. So you I see believe, it more as like a living or what are they a say, living like, constitution a living document. Yeah, a, a living, living constitution, constitution doctrine. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's also called like loose constructionism. Um, that's just there's no other way of. In my opinion, there's literally no other credible, um, honest, modern way of of of, of, well, of having a society. That's like the whole point of us having you know amendments and, and whatnot. Right. So that I, I, is my, our my, founding fathers knew that that you know certain certain things will change. As obviously as everybody points out, if the first amendment meant exactly what it said, then it wouldn't work for TV or internet and obviously that's ridiculous, you know. I I guess my argument here is I just think the right is more ideological about this than they admit. Um and I'm not even I don't even I'm not even an anti-ideological person. Like I try not to have a strong one myself, but I know I have ethics. I know I have I know right. I have one. Well, right? everybody has but to I have. Mean, well, everybody has a lens in which they view the world. There's no denying that. Right. That is true. Um, I just think there's no other like uh, uh, they're more ideological about their adherent. Like I think they're being a little bit disingenuous about their belief in the Second Amendment because that seems like the only one they care about then the most is the Second Amendment. Um, and then it's, I'd it's, say it's, recently it's, the First Amendment's definitely been more of a talking point on the right, though. That's true, but again, um, if you look at polls, like it's more more people who identify as Republicans say that we should. You know, um, they're they're more likely to have authoritarian views and all kinds of questions. Um, so it seems like, are do they actually care about free speech? Are they again? Are they using are they using it as 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 a political tool against the left right now because they think the left is kind of, you know, opposing. If free they are, speech. it's working, and I think the left is, is just absolutely uh, just stupid to give up free speech as one of their tools. I think that's just, ugh. but we that's a whole I other issue. I, I think that's an issue about our like again about culture like I think that's an issue about I think that's I think Americans are na- are naive people in general and um that's why I don't really see it as a bipartisan thing because I there was a, I mean as a partisan thing because there was a poll out a few weeks ago that showed like there's there's way too many Americans who have authoritarian tendencies and who don't value the First Amendment as strongly as they should. Yeah. And I think I think it might be even more, less political than we think because it's just like a cultural naivete about like why is this so important? I don't understand. Like I don't yeah. think, I just don't think people get it really like how that's the foundation of an open society. Yeah, that's fair. One thing I kind of wanted to point out, you keep saying this is a cultural thing, and one thing yeah. I think is interesting is I think Trump leads the culture war. So I think when it comes to policy and whatnot, he's so fucking god awful at it but when it comes to culture war stuff trump is always at the head of it that's why he's always attacking my precious nfl players all the time and but you notice he didn't go after gun control like i didn't see him attacking people for that at all when it came to yeah or did you see him politicizing that this i was gonna ask you about it i I didn't i haven't heard much about from the from trump about this yet 
No, and that's hmm. the, I just think that's interesting because he is, you know, he's always at the forefront of the culture war, but yet this is, you, you know, you're saying this is one of the big culture things, and I do agree yeah. with you. This is something that I know at least my family and people that associate with my family absolutely care strongly about, and, you know, a lot of it does come to their just philosophy of not trusting the government and seeing what happens around the world and whatnot, but right. um, so... I don't know. It's I, just, it is interesting that Trump decided not to politicize this. Maybe that was a good thing. Maybe it's because his, you know, he's trying to suck up to Chunky or Chuck and Nancy a little bit more. I, I don't I know. Mean, but can we just agree though that so after a mass shooting, Democrats come out and say now is the time to regulate guns, and the yeah. Republicans come out and say now is not the time. Can we just admit that that those are both political statements? Yeah. Thank you. Because yeah, they that's are. Fair. That's They're fair. both political statements. See, the problem to me is I think like now is actually the best time to talk about, or not now specifically, but a few weeks after, after everybody's emotions are down, you know, me and you are actually having, you know, a civil discussion about gun rights and not right. freaking out and, and whatnot. And you don't have that happen though. Everything in politics is reactionary. And I think Trump yeah. adds to that in way more than what we should have. But, you know, you see that on both sides, everybody's reactionary. And then it's true. The right will say now is not the time and then someone will push through some legislation everyone will uh shut it down if and then um like nra members will call their politicians and tell them not to vote for it and nothing's gonna happen well, and we're just unless, gonna thoughts and prayers so, and then in another year someone's gonna gun down some more people right i mean uh, it's <laughs> so i i actually want to ask you your opinion on this quote from the economist so okay. they said because in my opinion, they're pretty centrist. They're actually kind of neoliberal. They're they're you know they're not left. They're cent. They're pretty center. Um, they said, had Stephen Paddock used a new technology, an armed drone, say, to kill from the thirty-second floor of the Mandalay Bay Hotel, or had he been an immigrant from the Middle East, lawmakers would be rushing to legislate or tighten borders. But he was a retired white man who used some of the forty-nine guns he owned, so it is the price of freedom. Right. So so yeah, no, I, totally I think agree. that's true. That's well, yeah, I mean, that was, I think that's wasn't, true. wasn't that uh, Jimmy Kimmel's whole whole idea, you know, because it wasn't a man with Hold a on. beard. Can I pause you? Hold on, can I pause you? Yeah. I don't listen to what Jimmy Kimmel says. Thank you. Well, about, I'm glad. About I'm glad anything. <laughs> like about anything. To me, he's just boring. Uh, he's not a funny comedian. And, and that's why I like, I like comedians to be things, funny. But... Um, that's one thing also, someone pointed out or I, I know me and you kind of got an argument over not not an argument but we were talking about how I was saying I think at a time right now we need more comedians that that will just you know give us comedy instead of preaching right. us their either leftist or conservative values and but well there's a good there actually is a good podcast by Malcolm Gladwell I forgot what it's called but his podcast is called um revisionist history but i forgot the title of it hmm. of the I didn't episode. even know he had but, one that would be yeah, it's like really a, interesting it's like a series so like you'll like he'll put out eight episodes and then he'll take he'll take six months off and put out a, you know the next season. Okay. So it's pretty cool. I haven't listened to all of them, but yeah. he did a whole a whole show about how satire doesn't work, and I never forgot it. And I've also read articles and essays about how satire doesn't work if you want to change people's minds. Mm -hmm. So I'm always thinking about that. Like I actually don't personally mind stuff that is very political, stuff that's very um 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 outspoken, polemic. Um, strident even like I don't if, if I find it funny I I, I don't care right but mm -hmm. oh I um, agree no I agree I well, do... well, my example I gave you was uh, the Jim Jeffries bit on gun control that is hilarious absolutely hilarious I you know I, I agree or I disagree with you know some of the fundamental things but I don't you know because it's so funny that that's okay with me I guess right my thing is you know all these late night comedians it just seems like they're all the same and it's just 
I don't know. But then well, again, yeah. I, I don't sure. give a shit about late night comedy either. I'm just thinking yeah. about American dis you know political discourse in general. Right. I, I I don't think really any like well I should say like I didn't mean that to be like an anti Kimmel statement. I meant it to be like I don't care about Jimmy Kimmel like at all. <laughs> yeah, like good fair. or bad, real like not really, right. right? Like I don't really care about Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah, no, um, that's fair. Well, I to get back to your question, I guess I don't know. Yeah. It, it, I don't think so, that I, it should matter, you know, what someone's skin color is and whatnot, but there is definitely a difference between someone coming from the outside and someone from the inside because Americans do have different rights than other people do. So that that's kind right. of how I would answer that. Sure. Um, I think I think that quote, though, is, is part of why I'm saying the right is ideological, though, because, um, I mean, even when, I think his name was Omar, right? The... the Omar the guy Mateen. who shut up, yeah, yeah Omar Mateen who shot up the Pulse nightclub in Orlando a couple years ago. Yeah, like the right did, the the right did reference the fact that he was a Muslim, right? Like a mm -hmm. lot more than like it mattered, it mattered that he was a Muslim way more than right. Um, See, than one thing does. though, I think it mattered because they could get at the drive and the intent because it was really obvious when he, you know, yeah. he was saying all these uh, homophobic things and and whatnot, and his dad was like a was like a radical preacher from Afghanistan or something. Maybe I'm mixing that up a little bit. But my point is that with this guy, there's seems to be no intent at all. And I don't know, I guess how much does intent really matter, but that seems to be one of the biggest things that, you know, they're kind of talking about now is that in a lot of these mass shootings, you know, you had your Ted Chazinski or however you pronounce his last name, you know, he published his shit yeah. to the New York times. And then you had a Timothy McVeigh wrote out his stuff. And then you had, that guy in Charleston wrote out his, and so all these people right. have their motives, and this guy just seems, you know, for no one well, can figure uh, it out. Have you noticed? Have you noticed the um, the police chief in Vegas does keep saying there was something written down. I'm not going to tell Did you what you see it what was. It, well, no, they released what, what it, it was. Yeah. Okay. What was it? It was just like the angles that he needed to fire on the crowd from that, and it was like certain right. just directions on. Like uh, it was either how to reload or just the certain angles he needed to get and the timing of whatnot. It was at least that's what I was reading earlier. Right. Um. Actually, so about the motive here, this is actually kind of interesting. So ISIS, ISIS claimed that yeah, Paddock they, was. They always do though. Hold on, they don't always do. This is my point. No, no, that's hold true. Hold on, they they're actually pretty serious when, when they are. But this. That's what I mean. Okay, hold on. Sorry, sorry. I'll let you. So know. it's fine. I'm just saying, like, I I completely disagree with that because that's why I'm taking this more serious. So. Yeah. Uh, Rukmini Kalamachi of the New York Times is a really good, good, um, like counterterrorism. Um, she actually covers ISIS like as her focus, and she said that like ninety five percent of the time that ISIS claims an attack was theirs was correct, and that yeah, that's what I heard. Well, I heard something kind of similar that they were saying that ISIS isn't quick to jump on it unless they actually did do something. Well, actually, so, so what this to me is, this to me is fascinating. Most terrorist attacks around the world are never claimed by any group ever. Hmm. Um, most are not claimed, and I just think that's really interesting just to think about. Um, you, you you don't usually know who actually w was responsible for them, which is horrifying. Yeah. That is. That is because it adds to it. But I think, you know, him not, but so I guess, I don't know if he was part, how are they going to, how are they going to prove that? I know I, they I, have ways to I, do it, but I, no, it's, it's really weird. Like it. I don't even have, like, I'm not even like, I don't even, I probably think that's probably not true. Right. That, 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 mm -hmm. that I think 
ISIS might be bluffing this time, but I know that they usually don't. So that's very interesting. It could mean because yeah, they're, they're very weak. It could mean that they're very weak right now. So they're trying to scare Americans more, you know? It could mean like, yeah. a, it's definitely Absolutely. not a, um, it's not evidence that they're strong for sure if they're claiming this guy was a, you know, an ISIS member and he wasn't. Right. And that's what's interesting too, because there's so many different th- layers. Like, you know, he had been stockpiling these guns. I know he bought a, a shit ton of them in the last year, but for what he had, right. he'd been doing this for a while and he sent his wife or girlfriend, I mean, off to Indonesia with, and like sent her a hundred thousand dollars and all these weird things that just, it's like, what the, what the heck? This guy was like, wasn't he right. a millionaire gambler? They said, and I guess gambler, I he, he, he had some real estate money. Um, uh, but I, I, yeah. I, I think the I, I, I think the intent and the intent and motivation always matters because it just matters to get to the truth. Um, I don't know how much it matters mm-hmm. regarding how to stop this. Um, I'm more pessimistic about stopping about this being stopped in America. Even if we had strong strong gun control, by the way, which I think we probably should have stronger gun control. But I don't think we're going to stop mass killings in in our country. Um, I don't think, I think we're it's, either. Larger... it's because we have 350 million guns on. And the other thing is everybody talks about, you know, they want to ban these, the big scary guns, which, you know, is, is understandable, but those don't even actually, when you look at the FBI data, you know, they don't even account for quote assault rifles because they don't even make a blip on the gun stats. What's actually killing people right. are the pistols and no one wants to go after those. So yeah, it's, it's mostly handguns and half of all, probably actually like 60% of all, of all firearm deaths are suicides. Yeah, exactly. And it's like something like three to four more times people are killed by hands and feet than they are by uh, 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 assault rifles. And it's just, right. yeah, exactly. The point is that, you know, the pistols are killing people and that's not actually what anybody wants to go after. So I don't know. Is there anything else you wanted to add to that? I guess not really. No, I'm sure we'll get into if if there's some new legislation that gets proposed, which is probably just going to get shut down quicker than we know it. But so moving on to let's talk a little bit about some Puerto Rico and what Trump did or did not do yeah. and kind of the reaction to his aid or lack of aid. I don't know. How do you <laughs> want to start? <laughs> I don't know. So we guys could say so Hurricane Maria struck Puerto Rico and actually was the strongest hurricane to make landfall there since 1928. Um, this mm-hmm. happened probably two weeks ago now, um, but it's still in the news because Half of the island still lacks water access and 88% lack of electricity. Um, yeah. And I guess just just right off the bat, I should say, I actually think this is the worst um, is the worst performance we've seen out of President Trump, out of any issue. Um, I think it's embarrassing. So you do think um, this is like his Katrina as oh, people are saying. Oh, this is bad. Uh, he got on a Twitter fight with a mayor in yeah. Puerto Rico, the mayor of San Juan. And it like, what is bad. this? Like, this is, this is incompetent. Um, I want to be like, he should resign, but I know it's not going to happen. But <laughs> no, I genuinely think this is, this is, this is, a, is an example of, this is our commander in chief. This is our president. This is our leading executive officer of our country. And he completely fumbled this, this response, I think, honestly. See, it seemed like you can look at what he said and that, and then we can look at kind of, you know, what, what was happening, which I don't have a lot of the details. I know that there was, uh, for instance, there was like hundreds of thousands of goods that were trying to be sent there. And that due to cer- certain laws that, you know, people were blaming union laws down there, yeah. that, you know, cer- certain docks and whatnot were just completely, they weren't able to get supplies. And they, I, I remember seeing something like, uh, someone was just kind of saying, 
I'm not excusing Trump's, by the way, I'm not excusing the, his his rhetoric with the mayor. That's inexcusable, but that's Trump. It doesn't surprise me in any way at hold all. Hold on. I, I don't yeah, like but it, it's, but hold that's, on. that's what he it's is. Still, it, it doesn't surprise me, but we still have to have some sort of like outrage. Some sort of standard not for like, our president. Like, yeah, like just a standard. Like this is I know, bad. but I just don't think Trump has any, man. I, I really don't think he does. I think he saw a moment where he could be the big bad man against the foreign freaking female mayor. That's really what Hold it seemed on. like to me. She's not, I'm not she's someone not that foreign, though. racism. You said whatever. foreign. She's not foreign, though. She's but to an him, American he is. mayor. No, I'm aware of okay. that, but to him, Hold he on. is. More, it's not even half of Americans know that Puerto Ricans are American citizens. So Yeah, but the president of the United States has to, right? Yeah, I absolutely agree. <laughs> totally agree. He has but, to. And so should his think, Homeland Security Department. And so should all of his White House I, yeah. advisors. So should the State I Department. I truly think he sees them as, I mean, who is it? Uh, someone said a few months ago, they're like just another island in the Pacific when talking about Hawaii, which is, you know, one of our 50 <laughs> states. And so right. the fact that, you know, he he doesn't know. No, I agree. I'm, I'm not so, excusing that. But I'm just kind of talking about there were, it seemed like there was actually problems when w there, there was tons of aid trying to be delivered and you had just all these containers just sitting and nothing could happen. And there's just been a really just, I don't know. There has been a bad effort. Well, I mean, th there's no deny. Yeah. I wanted to ask you kind of more, what do you think are the political implications of this? Because I was looking up some polls and it turns out Puerto Ricans really don't vote in America. They're not, I, I was reading or I was listening to a 538 pol uh, politics podcast and they were saying, how Puerto Ricans, they're just, uh, in general here in America, they're not as politically active as Cubans are. Right. They just, they really don't vote and don't make much of a difference when it comes to it. But uh, they're saying that due to this hurricane and whatnot, that, you know, the the population of Puerto Rico is roughly 3 million and that there's going to be close to like a half a million people, if, you know, a quarter million to a half a million people, you know, as in just straight exodus or what is, I don't think that's a word, but haven't, or taking on an exodus to America. I'm screwing that up. But yeah. anyways, what do you that think works. are the political implications of, you know, half a million Puerto Ricans mostly going to Florida and New Orleans and, and, yeah. and whatnot? I mean, that's all I've really heard about it was that if if their community grows in Florida, then so too does their clout at the ballot box, you know? Um, yeah. And they and, do traditionally vote more, uh, you know, left, obviously. But they were showing that a lot of uh, Puerto Ricans in South Florida actually have been, or I think, I can't remember the breakdown of how many counties voted for Trump, but it was a lot more than, you know, than than what had been previously. Right. Um, I don't really know the political implications as far as, you mean so like as far as Puerto Ricans as citizens or as for Trump or as the yeah electoral, because obviously you know. a lot of them are pissed off at Trump's response does that how much of an effect will that matter in the polls in Florida when you have Florida which is an important swing state and you know yeah. if it if it goes right you know that's that's a, or if it goes if it becomes a red state you know that that's a big deal and you know but you're gonna have half a million people flooded in that are gonna be pissed off at the Republicans what does that mean, I mean for Florida. you know people like Marco Rubio who is I think he's Cuban American right. or, or, or yeah whatnot, he is but. yeah he's Cuban American I so. I mean I just think Florida is always going to be a swing state when I say always you know I mean for the for the foreseeable future Florida is always going to be a swing state. And mm -hmm. it's always going to be be determined by who actually goes to the ballot box. It's a boring answer, but it's just the truth. Um, um, <laughs> um, I I have like a radical position on Puerto Rico. We should move them all here, 
and turn Puerto Rico <laughs> into like a military base. Like, I'm why should we keep that. rebuilding? Why should we keep rebuilding these islands that are going to keep getting get pounded? Wrecked. Yeah. Um, I actually, I never opinion. thought of that, but that's that's a great idea. I don't see any downside to that. It's like 3.4 million people left, right? That's and they're fine. already American citizens anyways. They're American so citizens, yeah. It's not like uh, this is a, it's. It, I hate to say this, but it's not the same thing as, you know, Syrian refugees that we were debating a few weeks ago. We should take you know, all of them so, too. <laughs> but this actually seems, yeah, that actually seems tenable. I didn't even think think uh, think about that. But And I don't see why uh, the Defense Department wouldn't want to make that entire island a military base. Yeah, come on. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just really skeptical. Like, I'm really worried about about uh, about 30 million climate refugees, which are predicted to have, you know, have occur yeah. in the next thir- 33 years, basically. And right. uh, I just, I mean, I actually, I actually get it. I get it emotionally, actually, and culturally, even why you don't want to move people where they live right now. And that's a big deal. But like, honestly to keep rebuilding these islands in a in a changing in an era of a changing climate to me is just dumb and they are american citizens we that's can, just ask that's just set here. yourself up for failure every time yeah i agree all right so moving on uh to a little bit more political implications there's been a little bit of news and some pieces talking about rex tillerson being on the way out either due to just trump's rhetoric towards him or honestly uh, one of the one of the uh, lines I read was, "If Tillerson resigned, would anybody even notice?" And <laughs> it's kind of a fair <laughs> point, but I don't know. Let's kind of I I hated the idea of having him once uh, when it was first uh, named because he's an Exxon Mobil CEO. I was like, "What?" And the what possible good American interest could this man have, being that he has been running right. part of the oil industry? And so I was completely against that just in the beginning. But when he came into office, I don't know, he seemed really just, just uh, lukewarm, not interesting, yeah. doesn't have any ideas. And so I don't know. What do you think about this whole Tillerson situation? I, I keep going back and forth on this, too. Like, I... I think I'm buying into the hype that he's going to eventually that he has to he has to resign or be get fired soon, right? I keep buying into it a little bit, um, and he did say that he's not he's he's never considered once leaving this post. Like a few days ago, he said that, right? Um, mm-hmm. um, I I don't know. I really I can't read the tea leaves here that clearly. Um, I can't I can't predict that he's going to stay the entire term here. I really that's that 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 that, that would be hard to foresee. But I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, I know that he's in a feud right now with uh, Nikki Haley. Like they don't like each other. So that's yeah, kind of interesting. And I think um, she's going to be the one that would be picked to be. I think she'd be the most competent. But I think that she would be the one that Trump might actually pick for for Secretary of State. Do you think she would might, be a good pick? It actually might even be up to her in some sense, right? Like if she's really respected in the administration, which who knows if she is, you know, but if she is respected, it might, Mm -hmm. if she wants the job, I can see Trump giving it to her. But if she doesn't want the job, he might just be like, okay, I guess we're going to keep Tillerson for a while. Um, Right. Yeah. I I don't know. I can't really read the tea leaves here. Like I was trying to look up a list of people who were also proposed to be secretary of state. And to me, like Trump already said no to all of them. He doesn't. He doesn't want them in his administration. Like they were all never Trumpers. Um, 
Yeah. Um, so I, I think for and Trump the other said, part of the problem might... is I know there's Republicans in the Senate that have basically said, hey, no, we're not going to confirm anybody else. You need to yeah. stick with who you That's have. What... But that was I more for... talking about the attorney general. But do you think that applies here? Right. Well, I, I think for Trump's sake, he needs to try to keep his secretary of state for as long as possible. I mean, he's lost a handful of 10 people almost. Right. right. He's lost a lot of people in his in his White House and in, in, in his administration. Um Trump needs to be careful here because he's going to lose a secretary of state. And that's just, again, that politics there are bad. The optics are bad. Um, and Trump, I think Trump actually is sensitive to that. He doesn't want to keep losing people. There's just no chance. There's no, there's no way he wants to keep losing people. Because there's no way he can say he's winning when he's won nothing yeah, legislatively look... besides the Supreme Court pick, I guess you could say. But that's really the only thing you could say he's accomplished since he's came right. into office. I guess the rumor was that... The rumor was that Tillerson called Trump a moron, which is funny. Right. That's funny. I think and he apologized for it. The best part was, was when he was asked he about it, he didn't deny it. He was like, I'm not going to yeah. get into that petty stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. So um, it's like, I mean, come on. Does, does people really don't think that people in uh, Trump's administration don't think he's a moron? But to say it on the record yeah. is a different story, obviously. Yeah, it is a different story. <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll just keep watching Tillerson, but I don't know. It's hard to tell. Yeah, I agree. So, all right, well, moving on to our Beyond the Lead, this is where we get into our big ideas, and they're not necessarily political, but hey, sometimes they may be. So today what we're going to discuss is a conversation that was recently uploaded by psychology professor Jordan Peterson, and then um, he and he was in conversation with Camille Paglia, and she's a I know professor of humanities, but what exactly does she what does she study? I know she's it was a little bit of art history, and she's a social critic, and she's she does a lot of things. But I know you're more you're uh, more aware of what she does than I am. So if you could just tell me a little bit about her, actually, I'm kind of curious. She taught at the University of Pennsylvania um, for a while. Um, she taught humanities, classics. Um, um, I know her from her book, Free, uh, Free Women and Free Men, which I read this year, right? Mm -hmm. And I've heard her speak a lot, um, but I don't know what she teaches as far as like her classwork. Okay. Um, so I don't, I don't know all that much about her except for like the last two years I've been really following her speeches and I think her speeches are just brilliant. Um, but she is basically, she actually calls herself the first transgender person in the country. Right, which and is interesting. Like, I was and, like, what does she really mean by that? Because I see she was born a woman and seems to identify yeah, I, as that, that's I mean, like she she doesn't care what you think it means and she doesn't like she doesn't really care that much and that's the point, right? Okay. She's like I was a young I was a young woman who liked I liked uh, I forgot I, forgot, I think I forgot who she dressed up as as like a Halloween costume but she but she talked about it before. But mm -hmm. she always was just was just playing with genders and wearing like you know, masculine clothes, and she, she she does have a more aggressive and aggressive style of speaking, which is tied to which is which is correlated to how men you know speak more than women. Um, right. But she was just like, I don't care about gender at all. Like it's not it's not important. I care about like what do you know? Like mm -hmm. like yeah, what is your personality? What is your interest? How smart are you? Like yeah, and that's um, something that really came out in this discussion. That's there's no doubt about that. And uh, I was gonna say. My favorite part about Camille Paglia is she's sort of pretentious, but she hates she hates elites. She's like she's trying to be pretentious for like um, 
just people like for average right. everyday people like she's she's in defense of them and she thinks elites are a lot of times actually like faking it themselves like they're philistines actually they're career people they're corporate yeah. types they're not like actually radical and that to me is where she's really smart she's really great about that issue Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is something that I definitely picked up in that um, in that discussion is so this was the first time that I've ever delved into anything of hers. I've never watched any of her uh, any of her lectures or any of her speeches. And I added that book, the it's free women, free men. Yeah. Yeah. I added that to my list. I I just um, on Audible. I just haven't got around to listening to it yet. But this was really the first one that I I've ever delved into. And and I, I texted you, I think, after I was done listening, I was like, dude, what a fascinating woman. Yeah, that, like, that, what a fascinating just – she, she is so brilliant. The way that she gets at ideas and just straight just attacks them like a lion or, uh, with someone attacking the lion's cubs. She just goes and just – I was just like, holy shit, this is awesome. She is – Yeah. If she was right about everything from what I could tell. She seemed to be like just nailing yeah. everything she was saying. I was like – Wow, that like what a brilliant woman! Yeah, and if if you're just impressed with words and those who have a high uh, a like big lexicon, she's she's someone that you just want to enjoy listening to. <laughs> Very like, true. I just like to I just like hearing her talk. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, um, she so she made a point that I actually have a quote here because I was pumped about this because this is what I was always I'm always trying to get at this and I never I don't I don't put it in these words ever. She says, authentic leftism is populist. It is based on working class style, working class language, working class direct emotion, and an openness and brookness, and a belief in an openness and brooksness of speech, not this fancy contorted jargon of the pseudo leftism of academy. And Mm -hmm. that's where I actually came from as a young, a young left person coming up 18, 19. I was really, really always concerned about economic issues, about um, working class issues, and that's why I get so upset about about the part of the left right now that's being sort of that is that is being talked about the most because yeah they to me aren't actually what the left movement has usually been about. Um, I yeah, think it's been absolutely. hijacked, in my opinion. I do want to say when I heard that, uh, I know exactly what part you're talking about. I actually yeah. thought of you. I won't lie because I was sitting and that's I was cool. listening and I was like, you know, that actually does sound like something Patrick would say because. She doesn't. Uh, right. She doesn't go with any of the politically correct type stuff that that you know that the left is. I don't want to say known for, but I guess it's true. You know, right now That's in I'm this saying, current like day and age, right? Like she's not. I mean, you know, the always... social justice warrior type, but. That, you know, that quote about being actually populist is that's, you know, that's true when you actually look at what Bernie Sanders, I guess, you know, be, uh, at least his economic ideas and, and, and whatnot are absolutely more populist than than they are the yeah. social justice warrior Bernie, ideals and whatnot. <laughs> Bernie, <laughs> Bernie does not care at all about politically correct language. Like he has actually, what's funny is he was asked about it once at a town hall. And then I, I, so, so Chris Hayes asked him, what do you think when you hear the word political correct? Um, and he goes, you know what? I think it means that people. So Bernie says, I think I think it means that people are tired of hearing that NAFTA actually works for working class people, that capitalism isn't corrupt. So he he can't even he, he didn't even know that it was actually more about like identity issues, right? Mm-hmm. He's a working class kind of um, leftist populist that I tend to appreciate more than any of these identitarians, right? Yeah, which yeah. which are doing which are doing the causes of the left just horrible damage. Yeah. Horrible One thing that was interesting to me, I think it was kind of early on. She was saying that a lot of the '60s radicals and a lot of them were fake, and kind of one of the things that she was kind of pointing out 
was that a lot of them would say that they wanted certain things, but yet when she wanted to go to grad school, they, they'd be all like, you know, you can't do that. What are you doing? You don't want that. And I, I think it was kind of um, interesting how she was pointing out that a lot of these people, I guess she, she was kind of saying they were fake radicals, that they, they, they weren't real in the sense of what a lot of people thought that the 60s radicals were. And I was kind of wondering what you thought about that. I mean, I I think I heard that differently honestly. I think she I thought she I thought she said that um like modern academics who go to graduate school aren't aren't actually radical. That's how I interpreted it. Hmm. Um but either way, I do remember the part that you're talking about and she did make a point of um she went to grad school and a lot of her friends told her that she shouldn't go to grad school. Right. And that was where she that was where she did say like a lot of these people are just career people. These are like corporate types like Academics are corporate types a lot of times, and mm-hmm. um, that's where I, I struggle because I actually I try to be. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I try to be reasonable, but I definitely have a radical streak in me, and I don't feel like I don't like all these committees and all these dinners that we have to go to, and like I don't like any part of that. Like I am someone who wants more. Like, like are we changing people's lives? And that again, like that might sound also that might sound crazy too, right? Like, well, no, but you're not really supposed to either, are you? But I kind of think like <laughs> I have that energy in me where I'm like, are we getting anywhere if we're just trying to see like how statistically significant this little variable is? Like, I don't know. Um, it's way more just ran like a business. You got to follow the rules. People are yeah. people aren't open to discuss things. Um, people are scared to scared to speak, and that is not how I thought academic like academic life would be like and so far it's i mean i'm not complaining like i like it and 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 like my classes are pretty open in discussion but mm-hmm. the general like like stuffiness vibe is not something that i'm all about at all yeah that's something because I, I, come from a, I come from a like sorry i'm saying i come from a working class you know background and i i want institutions to be for people like me who want to just study ideas and to uh change the world even maybe but you're not going to in this career path where if you don't if you don't publish six times in one year you're not going to get a job and it's it's right. really just corporate basically the yeah, style like the structure of it is it is and it sucks because what you just said kind of reminds me of how you know back in ancient greece when you were a philosopher if you were a state philosopher the state made sure that you had all of your needs met and literally all you did was sit around and think and try and write and do ideas which which you know that that sounds great. I, I I can't deny that. That would that would be great. Right. I guess you know we could just tell tell our listeners that if you have never heard of Camille Paglia and, or Jordan, which we haven't even talked about Jordan Peterson. <laughs> talked we, about. We don't him. have to. I think we've talked about him. Everybody knows that we are fans of, at least of his work. But uh, it, that was a very you know like I said very fascinating discussion, and this will not supplant or I'm sorry this will not you know, substitute at all for that discussion. You guys need, need you to listen to that. It's, it's, it's up on YouTube and whatnot. Uh, is, is there other points that you wanted to make? No, I just, uh, I think it's really important that people listen to Jordan Peterson and Camille Paglia talk right now because they are shining a light on our culture at large. And mm-hmm. they're some of the most well-read people I've ever, I've ever come across. And that's, that's, that's their very, point too. That's is, a good, that's an important point actually, is how well important. read they, they came across in that conversation. The, the yeah. context that they both added to that discussion was just something that I actually, I'm glad you pointed that out because that is absolutely and I true. Think, I think that's why I get so frustrated because as I read more, I become more humble, not less humble. And so when you see people making these strident ideological a historical arguments, you know how wrong they are, mm-hmm. and it's just really like 
it's really like you can just tell that they they aren't respecting uh life enough even like I, I, i'm being i'm being that dramatic on purpose like they're not respecting any of this enough because they're so confident and if you read a lot you get less confident in my opinion about for sure what like uh, like especially about the big questions like what should we value yeah. how should we organize society totally how should agree. you treat one another these things aren't easy Right. kids these days are, kids these days are taking the shit way too easy this is yeah. not easy i totally, sit down and read a book i absolutely agree it's kind of funny my uh one of my psychology professors he listened to one of my podcasts that i did on self-driving cars and the philosophy of it right and he sent me a message yeah. he was like hey i just got around to listen to that and uh that's totally true and i'm thinking these car companies think that philosophical problems and whatnot are just going to answer themselves and i'm like yeah if only right, right? <laughs> Right. But all right. So moving on to our back pages this week, I'm going to recommend to you my favorite album of all time. And it doesn't have anything to do with anything we're talking about. I just want to put it out there that this is the greatest CD ever written. And I don't care what anybody else thinks. This is the best album. It is Under Oath's Define the Great Line. This album is perfect from start to end. I feel like I've been listening to it or since I was 13 as it came out in 2006 when I was 13 and I've been a, right I can listen to this album and never it never gets old it's perfect it it puts everything that I love about music into one and yep yeah, go listen to under else to find the great line because it's amazing so I if I had to pick like if I if if I was on a deserted island and I had like a hundred CDs which for me is actually a lot I mean it's actually not a lot is what I mean that's not enough um, I would <laughs> right but I would say at almost every Under Oath album would be on my list. Yeah. Um, I really like Under Oath a lot. I like to find the great line that brings back memories. I remember, I actually, <laughs> I actually can't recall the first time I played it in my car and I was like, just blown away by how heavy it was. Yeah. Um, For yeah, me, it was writing on heavy. the walls on YouTube. That was the first thing I heard off that right. CD. And I was like, what right. is this? This is the greatest. It, uh, but yes. Okay, so I guess I'll recommend a book by John Paul Stevens. So he was a Supreme Court justice. He was nominated by um, Gerald Ford, and it's called Six Amendments, How and Why We Should Change the Constitution. Um, it's pretty short, um, and it's really interesting because he's a conservative justice, and he really argues that we should amend. Um, well, he actually argues that we should um, get rid of the death penalty and that we should amend the Second Amendment to be pretty restrictive in how we and how we rule over it, you know, and how we read it. So that's my recommendation. John Stahl, John Paul Stevens, Six Amendments. All right, I'll have to listen. I'll have to read that to you know to challenge my own beliefs. It's good, which, which is always good. a good thing to do. Yeah, it's a good book. All right, well that wraps up this week's episode of Beyond the Lead. Uh, we will be back. I know this episode is going to be posted a little bit later than what we usually. Do, but that's just due to uh, I moved and my had a little bit of issues with the studio but we are back up and running so you can find me on Twitter it's Mike Skinner S-K-I-N-N-N-E-R and you can also find all of my work at Mike Skinner Media which that's uh, Skinner spelled normally two N's the, unfortunately that damn NASCAR driver decided to take all the domains <laughs> right. so, so okay. I had to have to have the three N's here but anyway so uh, yep, and I am Patrick Foran. You can find me on Twitter at PatrickFO, and my blog is iCriticalTheory.wordpress.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week. <laughs>